0: Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible if you're a youth pastor. Go to chapter 39. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 39 this morning. Now, I know last time we were together, we were in Genesis chapter 37. And it looks like we're skipping over an entire chapter in Joseph's storyline But because of time and Christmas is coming, I'm I'm, I'm for the moment leaving chapter 38 alone. It's a very powerful chapter. I wouldn't want you to think that it's not. But it deals with dysfunction in a way that's broader than we have time to deliver. It talks about Joseph's family. In particular, it talks about the third oldest brother, Judah, and Judah looks like a zero, a lot of sexual immorality going on and dysfunction that's going on. In fact, if your family's dysfunctional, you too could be a biblical family, not in a good way, like Joseph's family was not in a good way, but something that's there. But if you read chapter 38 on your own time, and then when we get to the end of the study on Joseph, you're going to see that Judah, who was a zero, became a hero because of the grace of God. And if you ever go from a zero to a hero, it will be because of the grace of God. Same thing is true for me. But it's in chapter 39 that we're going to pick this story up again. Joseph was the guy, you remember this if you were with us last time as a young man, 17-year-old young man, who had a great dream. And the great dream was that his brothers, all 10 of them, were going to bow down before him. And he knew it was going to be a divine dream. He just didn't know how it was going to work out. God had given him a dream. But then something happened to him. He hit a detour. It would maybe be called the birth of a vision, the death of a vision, and then we're still waiting for the supernatural fulfillment of that vision. He has a detour, and today I've titled the message, What Do You Do When You Get Detours, Dead Ends, and You Hit Rock Bottom? We're going to see that happening in the life of Joseph just for a moment. I heard about a little boy. He was not 17, but he was 7 years old. And he had to fly for the very first time from a little small community to a larger city where his grandparents were going to meet him. And it was one of those planes that just had a couple seats on each side, and it was going to be a rough-and-tumble ride. And he was a little nervous, as I would be and you would probably be. Probably Eric was the pilot. And so they were getting ready to go down the runway. They get up in the air, and and as as they're getting ready to go, his seat beside him was empty, but then this one great big guy came and sat down, and he had tattoos all over him. He was pierced enough all over his face. If you put him underwater, he'd rust before he dried out. And he was just a real big hippie-looking guy, and he looked at the kid, and he said, Listen, I'm tired. I don't want to talk. Don't say anything, and don't disturb me. Scared the little boy to death more than the airplane ride. And so in just a matter of seconds and moments, that big burly guy was sound asleep. But the turbulence started happening in the air. And this little guy's stomach started to rumble and go up and down. And he felt like something was going to come out. But he remembered the guy said, don't bother me. And it was such a small plane, he would have to climb out all over him. And about that time, the plane hit a turbulence, went down, and everything came up, and he dumped it in the lap of that man right beside him. Every bit of it. Remarkably, the man didn't wake up. But in a few moments, the smell of it got to him, and he did wake up. And he looked at the little boy, and the boy looked up at him, and he said, You feeling better, mister? What that little boy had managed to do was make the best of a bad situation, and that's what we're going to see Joseph doing in this story. Let me just quickly give you a review to make this go more smoothly. You remember that Joseph was the favorite son of his father Jacob. There were 12 boys in all, 10 half-brothers, but Joseph and his younger brother Benjamin were full brothers, and Joseph was the 11th son. And the brothers didn't like him because he was dad's favorite. They didn't like the fact that he had those silly dreams. They didn't like the fact that it seemed like that dad always showed favoritism to him and gave him a special tunic, a special coat, a special robe of multiple collars. And they didn't like the fact that it was clear that he was daddy's favorite. And so the Bible says they hated Joseph. And then the Bible uses that word again. They hated him when he got the coat even more. And then it says they hated him even more when he had those dreams. They were just jealous of him. And then time goes on. And last week we saw in Scripture where his father had sent him to a place called Dothan to check on his older brothers who were taking care of the sheep. Now, Dothan was about 65 miles away from Hebron where he was going to be. And he goes to see them. And he's wearing his beautiful coat, his Sunday go-to-meeting coat. Probably not a good idea because the Bible says they saw him coming at a distance. And they knew exactly who it was that was coming. And they said, listen, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And then let's see what happens to his dreams. So they grab him. They rip off the coat. And you remember they threw him down in a cistern. They throw him down in this huge pit. And and they're going to leave him there. And they're going to kill him, possibly. But it was the oldest brother, Reuben, who said, wait a minute, guys, let's, let's not kill him right now. That's not good for us. But let's think of another plan. Let's just leave him in the pit for a while. And then Reuben left. He went somewhere to take care of some business, probably with the sheep or something. And that left the other brothers to their own devices. And they see this slave-trading caravan coming down the road, a caravan of Ishmaelites and Midianites, and they could tell clearly that they were gathering slaves to take them down into Egypt to sell them. In those days, there were slave markets, just like when I was a boy growing up on the farm, we would go to the stock market. And just like a horse could be auctioned off or a cow could be auctioned off, human beings could be auctioned off. And... They said, well, why don't we make some money off of all of this? And they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, the price of a slave. And then Reuben comes back and he says, hey, fellas, where's little Joe at? Little Joe Cartwright. Where did he go? What did did you do with him? And they said, oh, we sold him. You sold him? What are we going to tell our father? Because Reuben really intended to go back and let Joseph out of that hole. He got all freaked out. So they concocted a lie. They deceived their father Jacob. You remember this. They put blood on the goat, on on the coat, goat's blood on the coat. And then they took it to the dad and they said very innocently, is this your son's jacket? Well, it's obvious. He looked at it. He began to weep. My son is dead. They said he's been killed by wild animals. And the Bible would lend to tell us that, that father mourned for years. He couldn't get over the death of his son. Sometimes our bodies and our systems are so designed that over a period of time, we never get over it. When I lost my brother the first time, someone told me, "said Frank, don't think you'll ever get over the loss of a family member, but you'll get through it. But obviously, Israel, Jacob, was struggling getting through it. And for years, he was still grieving over his son, Joseph. And then the Bible picks up the story again. That's what we had last time of where we're at today. And it starts in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 1. I hope you have your Bible open. Notice what it says, and it's on the screen. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, it was about a 200-mile trip down to Egypt from Dothan, where he had gone to check on his brothers. And when he got there, he was really facing some difficult circumstances, to say the very least. First of all, he's just a young kid. He's 17. He's still popping zits. He's still trying to get through the process of becoming a young adult. Can you imagine how forsaken he felt? All that he had ever known all of his life disappeared in 24 hours. The ship that he had with his brothers, limited as it was, that was going to be gone. The doting from his father that he had benefited and received so willingly was not going to be any longer. Can you imagine what it would be like to go into a place where he doesn't speak the language? He has no advantages. He lost his family. He lost his freedom. He lost his favorite coat. He lost his father. He lost his future. He was the son who, in all probability, was going to inherit everything. Probably his father was going to leave Joseph in charge of all of it, but now he's a slave. And not only is he a slave, he's an anonymous slave. No one in Egypt knows this family. No one knows Joseph. He's going to go down to the slave markets. And you need to hear this if you don't hear anything else about the culture at that time. Once you're a slave, you're always a slave. It's almost like the caste system. You'll never be able to graduate from that slavery. It'll be that way the rest of your life. And no doubt he had to be thinking, God, God, hello. You're the one that gave me this dream, but now it's gone, and my brothers have taken it from me. I mean, he's 17 years old, and he's not getting lemonade. He's getting lemons. He's getting desperation. He was at a place that you know and I know that we call rock bottom. How many times in my years of pastoring, I've tried to counsel people and help people that are in difficult situations to move forward, and sometimes their counselor will come to me and say, Frank, you're wasting your time. I said, why? And they'll say, because they haven't hit rock bottom. There is that place. I'm not sure where it is. It may be different for different people. There is that time where we have to get an individual to that they realize this is what we would call rock bottom. I do know this. Joseph had surely never been there before. Joseph had been the fair-haired child in the family, and he had had everything, but now he's down and almost out in Egypt. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there, or possibly some of you, in the sound of my voice, are there right now. And you know, rock bottom can hit us just like that. Just like one day, things are going great, and in the next moment, things fall apart and collapse, and that's the way it hit Joseph. One day, he's he's just waiting to see his brothers, to check on his brothers, and then all of a sudden, he turns around, and he's been put in a hole in the ground. He's been stripped of his clothing, and then being sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. And before you know it, he's pulled off of that slave wagon, and he's on the auction block. Who'll give me 20 shekels for this one? Who'll give me 30 shekels for this young man? Look at his teeth. Look at his arms. Later, the Bible will tell us he's one of only three men described in the Bible as good-looking, David and Joseph and Pastor Frank. <laughs> but, but he's there, and, and, and he's thinking everything is going so good. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've gone to a doctor's appointment when you thought everything was going so good, and that doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you this, it's not just a routine checkup, you have cancer. And then you not only have to have surgery, you have to have chemo and radiation, and, and there are no guarantees, the doctor would tell you, that you're even going to make it. Uh, many have experienced a terrible phone call in the middle of the night. I, I know some people tell me that they, they dread hearing the phone ring in the middle of the night because no one would do that to them unless there was death, unless there was a great problem that was there. Some of you in this room have experienced the great pain of divorce when when a spouse comes to you and says, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be married to you any longer. I found someone else and, and your heart is shattered. Many in our country have experienced this shattering truth of after working at a company for 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 years to be handed a pink slip and say your services are no longer needed, and now you're 45, 50, 55, 60 years old, and you're just not quite ready for retirement, what do you do in a situation like that? Because they're cutting back. You're at a place called rock bottom, and life has hit you with lemons. What do you do? Well, I want to notice from the life of Joseph in this first few verses of chapter 39, three principles and insights about this place called rock bottom. You don't have a sermon outline today because there are only three points and you're very high above average IQ and I'm sure you can rip a page out of the songbook and write it down somewhere. <laughs> Here's the first insight I would like you to have. Leave my Bibles alone though, don't rip those pages. <laughs> insight number one, rock bottom causes us to reevaluate our lives. Sometimes we don't reevaluate when things are going good. You know, it's it's when When the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, those are the times you reevaluate. Those are the times when there's nowhere to turn, when there's no government program to bail you out, when there's no close relationship to help you through it. When you hit rock bottom, you have time to think about it. But for Joseph, it was a whirlwind. I mean, it came just like this. It was just this. It was a bad dream. How did I get down here in Egypt? This can't be. And you can experience many emotions when you at rock bottom. Maybe you know this from experience. That's what rock bottom does for you and me. We want to give up. We don't want to try any longer. Things tend to knock us back, and then a flood of emotions of everything can come into our lives. And I want you to think about the emotions that Joseph must have felt. The big emotion he had to feel was woundedness. Why would my family do this to me? Can you imagine all of your brothers scheming to sell you into slavery? And so here he is dealing with woundedness, and he's dealing with anger toward his brothers. But you mark it down, big and plain. Every time that you're dealing with a hurt in life, emotionally hurt in life, that hurt, unless properly processed, will always turn to anger. Hurt will always turn to anger if it is not processed correctly. Anger is the flip side of the coin of hurt. That's why the Bible tells us we should never let the sun go down on our wrath. We should process that anger in our lives. And here's Joseph dealing with the resentment and the anger and all that was going on in his heart. And he had feelings, imagine, of despair and of depression, of everything that's happening. One lady whose husband had left her for another person said I'm so afraid I'm afraid of growing old by myself the best years of my life I invested in this marriage and now I'm afraid of growing old alone I want you to know that fear is normal and natural and the reason it is is because you're a human being and so when you're at rock bottom that's where you really have to deal with the feelings of bitterness that's when you really have to take time and work through the sour lemons of life. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. That's fear building up inside of you. The Apostle Paul, the greater, the great testimony we have of being strong in the Lord, standing in the Lord, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians after he'd been to Philippi and after his message had been rejected in a couple places, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 these words, notice, He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. What? The great apostle Paul got afraid? Absolutely, that's a normal emotion when you hit a place called rock bottom. And Joseph, without a doubt, is a 17-year-old stranger in a strange land. New customs, new language. Uh, You know, he's saying, I don't understand any of this stuff. What are they going to do? Is somebody going to hurt me? He didn't know lots of of emotions at that point. And then you have lots of questions when you're down there. How did I get to this place? Things used to be good before my family fell apart. What did I do to deserve this? And the biggest question of all is, why is this happening to me? Why me, God, going through this? And why is God not doing something about it? I've been at the bottom for so, so long. Why didn't he do something, Joseph would think, to get me out of here? Why is the biggest question that we can ask when we're going through very difficult things. Job, you remember Job in the book of Job? Did you know that 18 times in the book of Job, Job asked, why, 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 why? why, And God never answered him. Not one time, Job lived and died and never knew that there was a battle going on in the heavenlies, and he was the object of Satan's wrath and God's grace. You say, why does God not answer why? Here's why God does not answer the why question. You might want to reference this note on the corner of your bulletin. In Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29, it says this. Some things are hidden. They belong to the Lord our God. But the things that have been revealed in these teachings belong to us and to our children forever. We must obey every word of these teachings. There are some secret things. There are some hidden things that God doesn't tell us why. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about God. The Bible tells us everything God wants us to know about God. The Bible tells us enough instruction to be able to live by faith with him. And you can ask me why all day long God's saying, I'm not going to tell you those are secret things those are on a need to know basis and you don't need to know so i'm not telling you and that causes us to remember that god is not only a genie in the sky with a lamp that's rubbed and he gives us their wishes but god is a sovereign god is there an amen in the house god is in control of everything and the secret things and the hidden things they're the lord's but we do have a lot of questions And then there's the bottom line at rock bottom. And here's the bottom line when you hit rock bottom. In case you think you're there today, the bottom line at rock bottom is you have a choice. And the choice, the only two choices, you can either get bitter or you can get better. You can become bitter and let that thing own you. And I've known bitter people, people that have given up on God, people that have given up on their future, people that have given up on future relationships because they thought a loving God would never allow this to happen to me. Guys, I want to burst your balloon. Bad things do happen to good people. Difficult things do come in our life all the time. But we have the choice of whether we're going to stay bitter or whether we're going to get better Listen, when you go through the pain that Joseph went through, rejected by your brothers, listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 42. Don't turn there. This is years later when his brothers finally come to Egypt. And, he, and Joseph, by that point, in chapter 42, is number two in command over all of Egypt. He's no longer on the slave trade market, but he's second only to favor at that point in time. And, and they don't know that Joseph, that Joseph is in that position, and they're coming to speak to Joseph, appear before him. And they don't know that he can understand them in Hebrew because he's speaking to them through an interpreter. But once you have an Appalachian dialect, you'll always remember it no matter where you go. Listen to what it says in verse 21 of chapter 42. They're saying to each other, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. One paraphrase says, we heard his cries and his pleas for us to not do what we were getting ready to do, but we discounted that, and we blew it off, and we ignored it. And boy, Joseph was hurt. And remember, hurt turns to anger when it's not processed. And the Bible says, if you let the sun go down on your anger, you don't process it. You give the devil a place. Now, listen to me. This is worth listening to. The Bible says that the devil can take some property in your spiritual life. When you let anger and hurt and sin reign in your heart and reign in your life, it's something that Satan takes an advantage of. The Greek word, do not give the devil a place, is the Greek word topos or topos, and it means topography. It's where we get the word property. And the Bible says, don't let the devil have a piece of property in your life because of your failure to deal with it in a scriptural way. And if you let the sun go down on your anger when someone hurts you, people do hurt you. Sometimes not even intentionally. Sometimes it is intentional. But however it happens, when, when, when people hurt you. And you let that hurt turn to anger. And if you don't process it, you give the devil a place. And all I'm saying is you give him a little beachhead. You're giving him a little toehold to get in your life and to build in your heart. And you become, if you're not careful, even as a Christian, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But you can become a bitter person. And it's a terrible thing to become a bitter person. It's understandable why so many people in our world are bitter because they've been hurt so much. It's understandable that there are a lot of people in the church who are bitter because they've been hurt in the church and they didn't process the hurt correctly and apologies were not made perhaps in a past relationship. But Joseph has lots to forgive here in Potiphar's house. But may I share with you what Romans chapter 12 tells us? The scripture says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the key word in that verse, don't take it down yet, is the first word. Never, not once in a while, not how you tell your spouse or your children or your neighbor to respond and think that you're an exception, that you can take vengeance in this situation, but never take your own revenge. You leave that to God, and you choose to let go of the rope. You let go of the rope. I know this is blocking in your heart, soul, mind, because you want to hold on to the rope. You're like the guy that was trying to climb up the mountain, and he fell over the side, this cliff, straight down. And fortunately, he caught onto a root going down. And he cries out these big big mountains, Can anyone hear me? Crickets. (laughs) Crickets. Can anyone hear me? And he hears a voice. I hear you. Who is it? It's God. God save me. I will. What do you want me to do? Let go of the rope. Let go of the vine. Gets real quiet. The guy cries out like you would. Can anyone else hear me? (laughs) Why? Because we don't want to let go of the vine. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't want to let go of the thing we're holding on to. Rock bottom causes us to reevaluate our lives. The second insight I want you to see today is that rock bottom creates an environment for God's grace. Even though it's a tough time, it's just like it sets out a certain platform for us. And, And this is so good about the place called rock bottom because at rock bottom, when you get knocked out and when all the lemons come in and everything changes in your life, it's humbling. And no one likes that. We don't like any of those things, but here's the good thing. Listen to what James chapter 4 and verse 6 says. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's always at rock bottom. That's the place you're going to get humbled when you're naked before the Lord, when there are no uh, facades you can put up, when there's nowhere you can run. It's an opportunity for God's grace. This is going to be a hard statement. At rock bottom, you can learn to accept your situation. Maybe you don't have to stay in that situation. But at rock bottom, you have to accept it. Before that, you say, I'm not an alcoholic. I just enjoy drinking at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm not a, a, a lustful person. I just like to watch pornography on my computer every night. And, and, and then you quit denying those things. And at rock bottom, you realize, you get humbled, you accept your situation. But the question is, how do you get better at rock bottom? Well, that's the first step. You don't even know it. The minute you accept your situation, you've gone beyond this lie called denial. Because denial will keep you on this 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 speed trap continually, uh, a, a treadmill of never having a, a, good, res, a good response. But... Eventually, you get to the place this did happen. I do have to deal with it, and I don't like it. Hey, Joseph, how do you like it all the way down there in Egypt? No, I don't like it at all. Please get me out of here. Please take me back to Hebron to my father. My father will give you your 20 shekels that you paid for me. That money is no problem with my family. It's all a mistake. My brothers really didn't mean to do this. Oh, Joseph, you're not with your family. You're here right now. And you know why you're here, Joseph? You're here because God sent you here. Oh, no, God didn't do this. My brothers did this. Oh, yes, your brothers did this, but there's nothing that will ever happen to you, Joseph, that will not first go through the filter of Almighty God in the throne room of heaven. And if your name is Joseph or any other name and you're a child of God, I need you to hear this. I know it's bad. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through. I would give anything in the world if I could take your pain away from you. But nothing has happened to you but that did not first go through the filter of Almighty God in the throne room of heaven. Nothing happens to us that way. And he didn't know about it because it was the secret things of the Lord. and He doesn't always tell us. A spouse goes through the torture and emotional torment of divorce. And it's even more torturous when the person says, I've fallen in love with someone else. It would be easier to bury a spouse than to live with the fact, I'm leaving you and deserting you because I've fallen in love with someone else. You do know the name, don't you? Most of you, unless you're a very young teenager of Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson is the most incredible lady. She's friends with Bob and Joy Burney in our church, personal friends, but we all know her at a distance. She was a quadriplegic from a swimming accident when she was 17 years old. She loved the Lord. And today, some of her paintings that she can't use her hands or her feet I was in a meeting with her in Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. I sat on the front row and she was right here and she shared with us, can you imagine the humiliation she said when you want to scratch your nose and you know you can never scratch your nose again? When you have to go to the bathroom and someone has to help you with everything. And yet God has given her a gift because from the neck up, she doesn't need a checkup. She's incredible. She's an artist. She's a painter. And Johnny Erickson Tata paints with her teeth. And if you'll go online and look at some of her stuff, you would think that Leonardo da Vinci had a hand in that. She's just, God's gifted her to go through it. But when she had that accident in 1967, she couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, in a moment of time, she could not move any part of her body And she had a series of emotions. All of those kept moving and changing. Her first first emotion, when she found out she was a quadriplegic and she would never again be able to walk, she said, I just wanted to die. She said, I just remember lying on the hospital bed and my friends would come see me. And she just begged them, please, slash my wrist. I can't feel it. There's no pain for me. I just want to to die I don't want to live this way any longer and then she got excited about the idea well we serve a mighty God he's a healer maybe God will heal me and she even went to a meeting where there was a healing service crusade going on but no healing came to Johnny Erickson Tata and she got even more discouraged and she went home and she just said I don't want to hear from anybody close the drape shut the door turn the lights off just leave me alone And she got so bitter, she said, at God and at her situation. And she said the Lord still sweetly spoke to her through all of that. And the Lord will keep speaking to you. Sometimes it's speaking of chastisement and correction if you're at fault. But sometimes it's speaking and wooing and soothing you that through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to lean on God. And she said, he began to woo me and speak to me and draw me back to himself. And she got to the place where she said this, God, if I can't die, show me how I can live as a quadriplegic. What a powerful statement. God, if you won't let me die, show me how I can live as a quadriplegic. And she's saying, you've got to accept the situation. I love the quote from one of my heroes that's in heaven today, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And this is something you may not have thought about. But Dr. Rogers, it's on the screen. Notice. He said, faith is not primarily receiving from God what you want. It's accepting from God what he gives. Faith is not primarily receiving from God what you want. It is accepting from God what he gives. Think about that. Maybe you are at rock bottom. And God would say, I want you to accept your situation. At rock bottom, here's the key. You can choose to trust the Lord. Why? Look at verse 2. This is worth staying awake for all this time. It says in verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. In the slavery, in the desperate situation, God had not forsaken him. God was with him. That's why I love the 23rd Psalm, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And Joseph knew that God was with him at that point in time, and he ends up at Potiphar's house. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. He lost his future. He lost everything he could think of. He lost his freedom, but he hadn't lost one thing, the most important thing, and that was God. Joseph was now captured. Joseph was now a prisoner. His brothers were home laughing, sleeping in their bed. But in reality, who was the prisoner? Regardless of how nice the house is, regardless of how much money is in the wallet, regardless of how healthy your body is, if you're not where God wants you to be, you're a prisoner of your own making. Joseph was in a difficult situation, but there was God. Then God was with him. He hadn't lost his deliverer. He hadn't lost his savior. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Bible tells us the Lord ministered to Joseph. It'd be easy for Joseph to follow the advice of Job's wife in the middle of all this. Remember what Job's wife said just curse God and die. But he didn't curse God. Do you know what he did? Joseph cried out to God and brought his burdens to the Lord. And he processed all that hurt and all that anger and all that bitterness. And someone says, I could never do for my brothers what Joseph did for his brothers at the end of Genesis. That's only because you didn't process the hurt. You held on to the hurt. You held on to the pain. You wanted to nurse it a little bit longer. You wanted to hold on. Joseph learned to process it. He knew that the Lord was working on him and the Lord was using him. And the Lord was blessing him because he trusted God. God. He chose to believe God and to seek God and to trust God. Are you ready for this? Even when he couldn't see how things were going to work out. He's in the slave market. He's being sold as a human slave. And you know what? You can do that too. I can do that too. You can be at rock bottom here today and you can choose to, I to even use this word. It sounds like Robert Schuller. Bloom where you're planted. <laughs> but you can do that. You, you, you can blossom with a possum. By your side all the difficult things that you're going through God can be right there with you you can choose to say all right Lord just as Johnny said God if I can't die then show me how to live in this new normal there should be an amen in the house somewhere God if you won't take me to heaven Show me how to live. Show me how to survive in this new normal that you're giving me. Show me how to live in this wheelchair. Show me how to live without finances. Show me how my life can matter with this cancer and make a difference in my situation. That's what Joseph did. Let me show you the last thing quickly. Rock bottom becomes a launching pad for great things and greater things. Rock bottom becomes a launching pad for greater things. Notice in verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. You see, when you just say, God, I accept it, when you say, God, it's difficult, but I'm choosing to trust you no matter what, I'm going to bloom, Lord, where I'm planted, use me, show me, show me how to live in this wheelchair, and God will do it. God did it in Joseph's life. Some of the most inspiring literature you ever pick up in your hand are testimonies of people that shouldn't be doing well in the Lord, but they're doing very well in spite of their circumstances. You learn lessons at rock bottom where you can't learn anywhere else. You see, God had Joseph in Potiphar's house. And listen to this. It was no coincidence that Potiphar was the one that bought him. Potiphar's a big shot. Potiphar's the king's bodyguard, Pharaoh's bodyguard. Potiphar has lots of wealth. He has a big estate. And as for Joseph, there's lots of opportunities for him to learn lessons about stewardship and running someone else's estate. And he had to be there for a while because he wasn't there for two days. And and Potiphar said, oh, yeah, you're, you're promoted. Joseph had to prove himself. And, guys, sometimes we have to go through the valley. Sometimes we have to go through the storm. Sometimes we have to go through the fire. And in that process of going through those things, it strengthens us. We stretch our spiritual muscles. We become strong enough not only to endure, but we become strong enough to prosper in that difficult situation. And that's exactly what Joseph was beginning to do. And and God's hand was upon him, and God's favor was upon him. And we talk about collateral damage. Have you ever talked about collateral blessings? Do you know sometimes if God has blessed Genoa at all, it's not been because of me. In fact, Paul Caldwell, who used to be our music minister, his nephew used to say to us to keep us humble. He said, guys, I think God's blessing Genoa in spite of you all. But sometimes I know that we have volunteers in this church, we have staff people in this church, and because of your work ethic, because of the way you stand up for the Lord, there's, there's, there is territorial prosperity that happens. There's collateral, not damage, but collateral blessings. And I want you to know something. Potiphar prospered because he had a slave by the name of Joseph. Joseph made the whole place look better, smell better, be better. Pharaoh in Egypt did much better because of the slave Joseph who had the foresight to prepare for the famine that was going to come in the days ahead. But I want to tell you that God wants to teach you and grow you at rock bottom. Very few people, very few people learn much at the top. There's someone running for a political office. I'm not going to tell you what state, what person, what party or anything. But their platform is that we're going to put America to work again and, and, and show people. This guy wears work clothes and understand he's never had a job in his life. He's a trust fund baby. And how in the world could he know what work is? And how in the world could you know what growth is by reading it from someone that was born maybe like a Kennedy? How I had a million dollars. Well, you know how I made a million dollars? I used to sell pencils on the corner for years, and I married a girl whose father was a millionaire, and he died, and I got the million dollars. That's about all that fellow's saying. But when Joseph was down there, you want to read from someone that's been in the crucible of life and that you can learn from them. And Joseph was teaching teaching them, and he blessed Joseph and used Joseph. Do you remember what I told you last week? God can never do a great work through you until he does a great work in you. It has to start there. But notice what he is doing through him. It says in verse 5 these words. And it came about the time he made him, this is Potiphar, overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Wow. You ought to underline that. It may be one of your children. It'll be a prosperity for you. It may be the church you attend that's prospered because someone else is faithful in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It said the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except what's for supper. The food which he ate. And that's how strong God worked in Joseph's life. I don't really know what's going on in your life personally. A few of you I do. I've told you this so many times. I wish I could take all the burdens away from you and you not have to deal with them. I don't know what kind of hurt you have, but Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham, wrote a book one time, and it's titled, There's a Broken Heart on Every Pew in Every Church. That was the title. There's a broken heart on every pew. I don't know what kind of lemons that have come in your life, but I do know this. I do know that today you have a choice to become better instead of bitter You do have a choice to go forward, and the truth is you have to say, Lord, this is what you have for me at this time, and I'm going to choose to trust you. Lord, this is what you wanted me to go through. My husband's leaving me. My wife's leaving me. The doctor said I only have six months to live. Lord, this is what is happening to me right now, but in spite of it, I'm going to choose to trust you. The great verse to write down in the corner again, Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 says this. The Lord says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord's hand was upon Joseph because Joseph pressed into the Lord. He came to him for strength and he feared God and he was faithful to God and the favor of God was upon him. And if you're faithful to God and you lean into God in spite of the circumstances, the Lord's favor will be with you. It's not just Joseph. Notice this verse on the screen, Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. If you have a heart like that, if you have a heart that says, God, I'm choosing to trust you, then God's hand will be upon you too, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Does the Lord have your heart today? I I, I don't know what your situation is, but I know who's the situation fixer. I know there's a peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding because when you go through some of the things that you've gone through, there shouldn't be peace. When you do what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it and trust God for the end results, he'll make it okay in the end. And today I'm going to challenge you to surrender whatever that thing is that you're going through that's affecting your family, that's affecting your life, that's affecting your spirit, and that you would give that to the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you say, I'm afraid, you should be very afraid. Because, my friend, no matter what happens on this earth, there's a worse consequence. The Bible says there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And Jesus so wants to take care of you that 2,000 years ago he came to this earth and let sinful man put him on a cross. He that knew no sin. And he died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. And he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.